advert on the telly this week that made me laugh. Because there are, every, every advert, every other advert is Christmas. It's all this Christmas, it's all that Christmas, it's all the other one. And particularly all the shops, the stores, the food stores. It's all their big competition about kind of their advert, which is the best one, all that kind of thing. And then I saw the Iceland one. And it started off with good old Noddy Holder from Slade about to kind of start his, you know, it's Christmas, and they stop him. And it's like, it's the whole thing, it's just like, no, it's not yet. We've got a World Cup to do first, we've got football to happen, we've got lots of things to happen before you can do it. And it's like, it's a hashtag not yet Noddy. <laughs> <laughs> and it just sort of, it's just so funny because it's just so opposite to everybody else. It's like everything else is, go, 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 Christmas, 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 Christmas. And this is, whoa, 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 hold on. There's a few things happen before Christmas. And then in our house, it tends to kind of, it's always waited until after our Reese's birthday, which is the 10th of December. Um, so everything's on hold to them. So we want to make sure his birthday's happened and we've made a good birthday. Then Christmas can happen, because that's it, to clear them from that point onwards. But I don't know, don't, am I the first one to do one of the kind of lead up to Christmas? Pretty much. I am. Hey, hey so there we are. <laughs> so hashtag... Forget holding on, we're starting <laughs> Christmas today. Until next week. Until next week. I don't know, persuade Simon to bring something that's kind of Christmassy. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of, but it is a sort of a pre Christmas story that I'm bringing in today when I'm looking at Elizabeth. And it is a story that's one of obedience, of reward, and encouragement. And it's the only place in the Bible where this lady is actually mentioned which I think is amazing, in Luke 1. Now I was having a look, kind of thinking, oh, because I was thinking, well, that's true, it's only, only in here. Is it actually only in here? What is the story in the rest of all the different Gospels going on? Because it says Luke 1 is the only place in the Bible where the whole Christmas story is basically fully told. And this story, the pre-Christmas story, is fully told. In Matthew, you've got, in Matthew 1, it's got the genealogy of Jesus. It's kind of all going back to then. And then you've got a kind of bit of a story of Mary and Joseph about the angel coming to Mary, and then Jesus is born, and then the wise men come, and then they fly off to Egypt to escape. So there's not kind of, you know, quite a bit of the story actually missing with that. Mark, John appears. It's John in the, in the wilderness. There's no story about the birth of Jesus at all. They all start as adults in the wilderness, where John's in the wilderness, and Jesus comes along, and Jesus gets baptised by John. That's how John starts, uh, Mark starts. In John, John's kind of a little bit more highbrow on this, and we just start with the prophetic notes. In the beginning was the word. So he starts talking about that. Then there's the story with John the Baptist and Jesus' baptism. So he doesn't really say very much about the Christmas story either. Luke is really the only one that actually really tells the Christmas story is kind of with all the nativities and stuff. So I think that Luke was a real storyteller. He liked to get the details. He liked the story. And actually he's put that down in a different way to how everybody else. So I'm just going to, I'm going to read it in bits because it's quite a long chapter. And I'm not going to read all of the chapter. But it's in Luke 1. I'm going to start off in, in verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God, 
when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zachariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realised that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So we've got kind of like this interesting sort of story coming on here. So you've got Zachariah and Elizabeth, they're both from the sort of the Levite tribe. So you know, he was a priest, she was from the daughters of, of Aaron, so she was kind of really in, in that one. But uh, they were both righteous in God's eyes. I love that, that actually it says at the very beginning they were righteous in God's eyes. And they walked blamelessly, but publicly among the people around them, they were actually under shame and disgrace because they didn't have a child. In those days, that was seen as a real kind of, it's, it was a disgrace, it was shameful for that to happen. But regardless of what others thought, in God's eyes, they were righteous. I love that that is put in there, that it actually says that. So what people thought of them because of what was going on with them was very different to what God thought about them in that same situation. So I love it that has been put that way in here. And it also says again in verse 25 about it. That he, when Elizabeth said, he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Because God didn't see them in the same way as, as people did. It was, you know, God, they were righteous and blameless in God's eyes. And like, it just got me thinking how easy it is for us sometimes to sort of judge, make presumptions about people because something's going wrong in their life or they're struggling with something. Um, things that may be out of their control. You know, I remember when Andrew was having his cluster headaches. You know, it was like, it's not because anyone's done anything wrong. It's not because of anything. It's just, sometimes it's just life. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's just life. If sin came into the world, the world's broken. So therefore, broken stuff happens. It doesn't mean to say that we actually have to have done something specifically to deserve it. We, we deserve everything because we're sinful, but that's another one. But... Um, 
you know, actually, how many times can it maybe, you know, it's like you're going through something, or, you know, maybe it's there's some sin in your life, you've got a bit of hidden sin going on there, you maybe need to repent from something, or, or um, you know, what did you do wrong? You must have done something to cause this to have happened, or, you know, what's God trying to teach you through this? <laughs> it's like, a, well, you know, your suffering, so therefore maybe God's trying to teach you something while you're actually going through this struggle or this battle that you're going through. And, and actually, all of them make you feel really rubbish when people come and say anything like that to you. They don't make you feel better about what you're going through. They don't make you start thinking, oh, the question is, oh, have I done anything wrong? Is it? And actually, no. It's not, I'm actually blameless and righteous in the sight of God because I'm Jesus. <laughs> I can pray to the throne of God. Struggles and battles I'm going through are not necessarily because I'm doing anything wrong. It's not necessarily because of hidden sin. It's not necessarily because of anything else. You know, we don't believe in karma. You know, we go to India and we see the effects of karma. And actually their belief in that, the kind of, so therefore people are left at the side of the road suffering and in pain and, and ill, because it's, well, it's something they've done. Maybe they can cope with that better next time they come round, they'll kind of have a slightly better life. And we don't believe in that, that. that's nonsense. This is that karma is not, that's not the kingdom of God. It's not the kingdom of God. So let's be careful with each other. When we, you know, when, when we're battling things, when we're going through something, when we're kind of, let's get alongside people and support them and help them and pray with them and just be there and bless them and encourage them when they're in it. Not necessarily try and think, well, why is this happening? What's going on? Let's, let's be kind to each other and let's kind of, you know, actually show the love of God to each other when we're battling, when we're going through things. Because it's not necessarily that there's something gone wrong. Sometimes it's just life. It's just the way things are. But both of them, both Elizabeth and Zechariah were old. It kind of, you know, they were advanced in years. They were, they were past the age of having children. She was beyond that point. Um, you know, yeah, bless them. They were kind of, the, the possibility of them actually having children had passed. There was, there was no chance of that happening. They were elderly. You can think of Abraham and Sarah back in the, back in the Old Testament. You know, they were old, they were advanced in years. It was a physical human impossibility. But the miraculous God encounter is about to happen. And I love that. There's a miraculous God encounter that can change everything, even when it seems humanly completely impossible. Now, God hadn't actually spoken for four centuries before this. So this is the first time in four centuries, 400 years since God had spoken. It's about to change, and it's about to, um, it's about to kind of get noisy. <laughs> like, God's held back for 400 years. I mean, you know, the angels are about to get really, really busy, especially Gabriel. Gabriel's about to kind of be appearing and going to all sorts of different people and sending messages and always. It's that kind of like, you know, the build up of traffic, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and suddenly boom, 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 it's all coming at once. But what is, what, another fact, that the last time God speaks is actually in the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And one of these is in chapter 3, verse 1, says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you speak will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And there's the whole thing with Malachi, the last thing that, that God is basically prophesying in, into and, and saying, 
is about John the Baptist coming to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, it's, it, I love that, the, kind of the last thing that God says and the first thing that God says, again, after that break, about the same thing. The last thing, I'm going to send someone to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And Gabriel comes, it's now going to happen, I'm about to kind of, you're going to now have this person who is, and he brings that in. And I love that, because the first thing, now, the thing is, he brings it to Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest, he's an old priest, he's been knocking around for a good few years, he's been doing this job all his life, and he knows the scriptures, or at least he should know the scriptures. So he should know what that last word that came from God was. So when he hears it again, it should, it should, the, you know, the dots should be connected for him. He should have remembered that that was actually what, remembering what God had actually said. So, okay, how many times have you reread a book or watched a film? And as you're watching it, you kind of, you've forgotten you've watched the film, and then you start watching the film, and you think, oh, I remember this story. Oh, yeah, I remember what happens at the end, but you can't remember the middle bit. <laughs> it's like, kind of like, well, I know, what, I know this is going on, and I know that they all win, and actually, you know, the empire does start back, and it's all the time, you know, all this bit. But I can't remember all the ins and outs of that, that middle bit. Or then there are the other ones where actually you read a book or you see a film, you see it again, and you think, oh, yeah, no, I know it's in the... Oh, I can't for the life of me remember how it ends. I can't remember what happens. Who was the person who, was, who committed the murder? Who was the person who did this? And, and Zachariah seems to be among that second group. He hasn't remembered the beginning and the end and forgot the middle. He's kind of, he knows all what's going on, but it's like, I can't remember what that last bit was. What was the end of that film? What was the end? What was that last thing that, Jesus, that, that God said? before it was all quiet again for that length of time. He'd forgotten. And, you know, which is quite surprising, really, isn't it? When you can think. But then at the same time, it's like, it's 400 years since God's spoken. So it's actually almost like that complacency, that, that expectation that God is going to speak has gone. So actually, I think poor Zachariah was a bit kind of like, a bit shocked and surprised suddenly. There's this angel come and tell him what, what, what's going to happen. He's not left in a, face, a sort of place of faith. He's taken by surprise and he's literally struck dumb. It's that kind of like the very words from now. like, ah, what's just happened? What's gone on? Because suddenly it's like, God's spoken to me. It's been 400 years since God said anything. And that's suddenly, like, and it's happening to me and I'm the person who's going to be involved in all this. And you kind of think, you know, this poor guy is kind of like, mind blown a little bit. So, and he is literally struck dumb. I think he was kind of emotionally and logically and everything struck down and actually then he has his voice taken away from him until this comes into fruition because of his lack of faith in it. But I come to think I love the next bit of the story. Because basically all this stuff happens. Zachariah doesn't sort of run around kind of in this sort of chaos. It's always that kind of like he just goes into kind of I'm just going to carry on mode. So he says he finishes up his duties. So he just kind of carries on doing what he was doing. It's like, kind of like, so it's like the shock is still there and it's still, you're still going on, still working, still kind of stuff happening. And then he goes home to Elizabeth. Now, I'm not going to go into too many details, but John the Baptist isn't a Holy Spirit conception. He's a good, <laughs> he's a good honest human one. <laughs> Elizabeth falls pregnant. And she keeps herself hidden for five months. I don't know why she keeps herself hidden for five months. I don't know whether it's her coming to terms with it. I don't know whether it's a kind of like, I don't know why. I don't know why. Maybe she got really, really bad born in sickness that lasted for five months. I don't know. None of it doesn't say why. It just says 
she stays hidden, keeps herself hidden for five months. Whether that was some kind of weird rule or kind of law that they had that kind of early pregnancy, I, I don't know. I don't understand, I don't know why, but that was the case. Once she's six months pregnant, Mary comes to pay her a visit. So in Luke, um, so we're gonna, I'm missing a, a big bit out because this is the story of Elizabeth, not Mary. Um, so in verse 39, says here, in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy, and blessed is she who would believe that there would be a fulfilment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And then Mary goes on to sing a, a very nice song of praise um, in response to that. And then it says, And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So... Mary has just come along. Now Mary's obviously, she's had this encounter with Gabriel and she's just been told about what's going to be happening with her. And she's had all this going on. And um, so she goes along to go and visit her cousin Elizabeth. Now Mary knows that Elizabeth is pregnant, not just because she's seen her being six months pregnant, but she actually knows because Gabriel told her, told her that this was the case. But Elizabeth doesn't know that Mary's pregnant. And Mary would be very early on, so it wouldn't notice, it wouldn't, there would be nothing about Mary that would say that to Elizabeth when she turns up. So Mary's in the know, because Gabriel did spoilers, but Elizabeth didn't know. No one's told her. Nobody has said anything about it to her. But at the very arrival of Mary, on the threshold where she did. It says that the baby leaps for joy. Now back in verse 15, it talks about when, when Gabriel's talking to Zachariah that, the, 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 that their son John will be filled with the spirit whilst in the womb, before he's even born, he'll be filled with the spirit. And they were just in this evidence that Mary's come in and the baby's leapt for joy because of what, who Mary is carrying when she comes in. It's in recognition of that unborn saviour. That baby leaps for joy. Before he was even born, he was filled with the Spirit. Um, there's just such a recognition. And Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit too. And given direct revelation of what is happening to Mary. It says, the mother of my Lord has come to me. It's not just that she knows she's pregnant, she also knows who she's pregnant with. She knows that she's carrying the Messiah. I love that. What an encouragement that would be to Mary, a real blessing and encouragement to her. She's just come away from home. Here she is, this young teenager. All this stuff has just suddenly happened to her. You know, we don't know if anyone else knew about it at all. Potentially only Joseph knew at this point. She's almost like wondering if she's going to run away a little bit because it's like kind of like, it's tied her away a little bit while this is all going on. So bless her, she's there. All this stuff, all this life-changing stuff has just gone on around her. And she turns up to see to visit her cousin, and her cousin instantly speaks those words over her. 
What an encouragement to her, what a blessing to her, what a kind of confirmation of what God is doing came from Elizabeth being filled with the Spirit and actually prophesying over her like that. I love that. It just, she didn't have a clue, but God revealed it to her. Because God's brilliant like that, isn't he? He just knows exactly what we need and exactly when we need it, and then he just chooses to use the right people to come and bring that to us. So Elizabeth was a, an obedient servant of God. And Mary was an obedient servant of God as well. Elizabeth was quite a bit older than Mary. <laughs> and Mary was probably quite scared still at that, that place. But to know that God had told Elizabeth must have said, given her so much encouragement and faith and also made it very real for her as well. Suddenly it's like, this is all knitted together. So this is really happening. This isn't just sort of kind of an out there concept. This is actually real and this is going on. And it just says Mary's there for about three months before returning home, which when you were about six months plus three months, eight months, nine months, so the chances are that actually Mary was still around to help Elizabeth with the birth of John. It doesn't say that. She might not have been. She might have lived just before. She might have been around. We don't know. Um, but, you know, she was around there for, for three months. She stayed with her. And what blessed time that must have been for both of them, just to rejoice in what was going on and just that that God is doing so much bigger than any of us can imagine and is using us to actually bring that into being. And then it goes on. So verse 57 to 66. I'll quickly read that. And it says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him Zachariah after his father but his mother answered no he shall be called John and they said to him none of your relatives is called by this name and they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote his name is John and they all wondered and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessing God and fear came on all their neighbours, and all those things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And then it goes on to kind of then, Zachariah has this sort of a prophecy that basically he speaks, and he's suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit, and he starts prophesying, and he also prophesies over the child as well. Um, and um, the very last verse is then, the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So, she gives birth to his child, eighth day, takes him along to the temple like good Jewish parents will do for this little rock for the poor lad, and that's also when the naming will happen as well. Now, all the neighbours and family and people all around, big celebration, the community comes out for this to happen. And they all expect the child to be called Zachariah because that's the father's name, that's what you do, you name him after the father, relative, somebody close by. But Elizabeth remembers the words of Gabriel. She remembers that and she says, No, he's going to be called John. She's going, What? What's John? That's where that one come from. Um, but she sticks for guns. No, that's what we've been told to call him. That's what God said. And, um, and then comes in to Zachariah as well. Well, you know, do you really think, because you, you can't speak, your wife's kind of, is she kind of coming with some weird name and it's not what you want? So he kind of, um, he says he asked because he'll probably signal to get some sort of tablet and he wrote down, no, it's to be John. And then he's able to speak again, his tongue's loosed. 
And the first thing he does, I love it, the first thing he does is start praising God. Mm. He's had all that time as nervous speak or say anything. Is his son. It's all come to something he can speak. And he just comes out with this amazing prophetic word about all of what's, what the world is coming and what's going to happen about the Messiah, about, about what John's going to be doing. And that's just really cool. I love that. Because actually, in the prophecy, you can see all those missing bits of the story, the bits in the film we'd forgotten that all come back to him. Because mm-hmm. actually, God revealed them back to him again. Because we can learn stuff and we can read stuff, but actually, sometimes it's the revelation of God that actually brings stuff back to life again. And he was, he had that revelation about the coming of the Messiah and the role his son was going to bring in that. So, all we know after this is that John grows up, becomes strong in the spirit. Is a joy to them, is a joy to everybody, and then he goes into the wilderness and he kind of puts on his kind of thing and eats his locusts and whatever it is he does and, and his ministry. We don't we don't hear anything else about Zachariah or Elizabeth. We don't know if they how you know whether they were around for very long after he was born. We don't know if they just raised him, we don't know if they were around when he went out into the wilderness when he started his ministry. Doesn't say we know absolutely nothing. And there's all sorts of things in sort of different other bits of um, writings and things that have sort of strange stories about it, but the Bible doesn't have anything else to say about them. But I do love the fact it still honours them, it honours Elizabeth and her faithfulness and her obedience to God in what's down here. Because Elizabeth was obedient. She followed God her whole life. She had faith, and she was absolutely making sure that John was called John. (laughs) She was obedient. When God spoke to her and told her to do something, she did something. And she'd followed God and she'd followed his laws and done it all her life. And she was you know, blessed by God because she was obedient. She was faithful, so even in tough times, and she was rewarded with her heart's desire. God took away her shame and disgrace among the people, but God never felt either of those things towards her, ever. All he did was love her and consider her righteous. Didn't, he didn't see how, how the other people did. And she had a real reward for that. It wasn't just that she had a child. She had a child who was actually <laughs> to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And I, I just, that's lovely. And Annalise was, was a real encouragement too. She allowed herself to be used to be an encouragement for others. So particularly like to Mary. She was open for the Holy Spirit to fill her and to prophesy over her cousin at a real time of need. The revelation was from God, not from something she knew about Mary. So it was a divine revelation, not anything that she knew. No, no human knowledge came into it. And she was also old. She was past it in human terms, but God had got a very important role for her, even towards the end of her life. Now, it's funny, going back to the whole thing of prophecy and revelation, I'm just remembering a, um, something that happened when we were at church in Putney, way, many, many years ago. And uh, one of the ladies in the church was leading worship. And she was leading worship, she was just praying before she was leading worship, and she just felt God say to her, I want you to say the word, jelly bean, while you're leading worship. Who's that come from? Like, where's that come from? That's just a bit out there and weird and wacky, but kind of like, okay. She was obedient, and when during that time of worship, she said, I, I don't understand why, but I felt God say I needed to say this, so I'm just going to say it, Jenny and then God carried on with worship. But she didn't see at that moment, there was this lady that had come to the church, who was at that point in floods of tears and gave her life to the Lord. 
But she'd been walking down Putney Hill that morning, saying, God, I don't know if you exist, I don't know if you're alive, I don't know if there's anything about you that's real, but I'm going to go into the church, and if you're real, I want somebody to say the word jelly bean. She comes into the church, she's there, and the person in the church comes up and says jelly bean. I was just like, you know, it's silly, it's daft. But actually God used that, and actually, you know, and actually she came right through to encounter Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Because, of, because actually somebody was faithful to what they heard and were willing to make a look like a fool of themselves and say something that sounded stupid. They wouldn't have done any harm if they hadn't, you know, nothing had happened as a result. But actually because she had faith and she was obedient did that, actually somebody kind of really encountered with God at that time. Talk about age. Like, bring King Charles into it, King Charles III. He's older than any other king. He's like, kind of, like, bless him, you know, he's in his, well in his 70s and suddenly he's become king. Now he's lived his whole life waiting for that moment to happen. His whole life has been one of preparation to be king. And it's only at the very, very end of his life that suddenly he's actually become all that he was kind of, his life has been destined for him to become. He's an old man and suddenly he's coming to do that. And actually, God's not done with any of us yet. God isn't, it doesn't matter what age we are, we're never too old for God to use us. I'm sure many of you heard this, have heard the story of Tom, um, the really back in Putney days as well, the, the, the pensioner who kind of well into his 70s ended up smuggling Bibles into, into China. You know, at the end of his days, that was how he finished his life off. He went out with a bang. Mm. You know? <laughs> like, we're never too old for God to use us. But let's make the most, let's use every day as a preparation for what God's got for us. We don't know how long it's going to be before God wants to use us in something or before God's got something specific for us. We don't know when that's going to be. We don't know when that's going to happen. But let's be patient and use each day. Let's be prepared. Each day we prepare ourselves, prepare ourselves. What, God, what do you want to do with me, God? I want to be obedient. I want to follow you today. So let's be patient. It'll give you the desires of your heart. Let's just keep seeking from him Working with him, walking faithfully, stick with it. We've got to see nothing up in our bedrooms as we're like, the best is yet to come. It's still there's more to come, you know, none of us, none of us are, are over, none of us are done. I was that say the last lap of the race is always the most exciting one. That's when it gets really serious, that's when everyone starts cheering, that's when it's like, oh, the last five minutes of a rugby match, isn't it? That's kind of like, ah, oh, this could happen, like, oh, this like, it's like, that's the excitement, come on, come on, you can do it, you can do it, come on, keep going, keep going, keep going, yeah! <laughs> that last bit of the race, that is always the most exciting one, especially if it's been a really long race. But let's keep the word of God close to our hearts. We don't want to be taken by surprise when God does speak and we don't recognise it. We've forgotten that bit. Now let's keep what's in here, let's, let's keep the scriptures close to us. Let's read what we keep them close to what we're doing. Let's not forget what God has to say. We don't want to miss it when it does come, not recognise it. Be filled with the Spirit, keep in communication with God. It's a relationship, let's keep talking to him. Let's, let's not have that silence, a big watch of silence. And suddenly, oh, hang on, turn around, oh, hang on, what is it? Let's, let's keep that going. You know, let's... let's read this, let's hear, let's pray, let's kind of be in this community together. Because by doing this, we're reminding ourselves of what God has said. We're keeping, we're keeping that going. So we know when, it, when we hear God, we recognise his voice. We recognise what he's saying. Let's be ready to be obedient, to speak out when God is saying to others something. 
you know, only when it's a revelation from God, by the way, not a manipulation, because actually sometimes it can be very easy to actually manipulate people to what we want by kind of speaking, God says this, or I think the scriptures are, but we don't want any of that, that's kind of, that's not good, that's not healthy. But actually, but let's listen and be obedient when God is saying something, revealing something to share, to encourage, to tell somebody. We're together as a church family to encourage and edify each other. Throughout this morning's been this been well, this afternoon even it's been brilliant. Actually, this is what you know. This is what we should be. Actually, I've heard so many more voices today than we might normally have heard, which is wonderful. Which we all you know, since everyone has come along, bring something, bring something with you, because actually it blesses everybody. And it's brilliant, isn't it? When you when you're obedient, you bring something. You also get blessed by it. Oh, how confused me to see that happen. I've just seen that person change. I've just seen that happen. And we're encouraged and we're blessed by it as well. And so is the other person. So when we come together, when we, when we meet each other, when we're doing things, let's be prepared to come, bring in an offering, a word, a scripture, a song, a prophecy, whatever it might be. Come open and ready to share for the blessing and encouragement of each other. You know, that's what it is. Be generous with, with what God's given us and to share that with others. But let's also be open to listen to what God wants to say to each other as well, because that is a real blessing and encouragement. And it's funny you talk about reward. You kind of, is it you, Graham, brought something about reward? Is it you, Graham? I think it was, wasn't it? Somebody brought something to talk about reward. Um, you know, Elizabeth had a great reward for her faithfulness. God doesn't kind of look at righteousness and kind of ignore it. He's watching, he knows, and actually, well, he really gives the desires of the heart. It might not come the time you're expecting it, or the time you think it should happen. God's timing is perfect. But, you know, as we've just done this, this kind of earlier, I just, I love that. But let's, let's continue to do that. Let's continue to come wanting to bless each other, wanting to bring what God has given us, but being open to listen to God. Because actually we have to do something about it before. We can't just sort of turn up and suddenly, ooh, it comes up like magic. There's actually just a lifestyle. There's actually kind of seeking God. There's actually being filled with the spirit that comes first. Actually we'll be blessed and this community will be blessed if we continue to do that.